Hi, I'm Marlon Walker, and I'm live from Helen's Wasteland, and today I am going to talk about a couple of things. First thing I'm going to do is respond to some call-ins that um, sort of continue the discussion of um, what we have been talking about in the previous episodes, especially the battles discussion. Um, I've got some call-ins from Jason Connerly and Carl Rodriguez, and um, yeah, I want to continue those discussions. And then I'm going to talk about something else that I have been, uh, excuse me, working on or researching or obsessing over, depending on how you, excuse me, want to, excuse me, how you want to describe it. Um, I have been thinking a whole lot about getting back into miniature wargaming or actually in some ways getting into miniature wargaming because what I did before um, wasn't quite as well. We're going to talk about that. Um, but yeah, I've got some call-ins. So let's go to the call-ins and then let's talk wargaming. Hey, Arlen, Jason here. Just finished your last episode. LibreVox is pretty cool. There's an app for it on, on Roku, or what we use to stream for our TV. And, and so I'll put it on every now and then. If I'm doing housework, I can put put something on. I haven't done as much lately because I'll use the phone. But but in the past, I have played books through LibreVox while I've been doing stuff around the house, you know, over the TV. So, yeah, it is kind of a cool project. As far as games go... Definitely, you know, you. I, I think there's a lot to be said about prioritizing your family time. And if it would be better to do a weekly Thursday game, you know, we, we've got maybe one session left of Barbarians Lemoria. And, and if you decided to, you know, then dedicate Thursdays to your family, I think that's totally cool and um, would 100% support that. I'm sorry I never played in the Shadow of the Demon Lord game. I know we were, were doing stuff on Saturday, and that kind of fell apart, and then you kind of got a different group set up, and we're doing Shadow of the Demon Lord, which is cool. I just never got to play in it because of a variety of reasons, but maybe I'll be able to rejoin your Saturday group at some point, and that'd be kind of cool, regardless what you're playing. As far as doing war games, yeah, we could look at that at some point. Um, my schedule should slow down. Maybe like a bi-weekly weekday morning would work. I don't know how that works for you, but that's more of a dead time for me, so I might be more available if we did it, something like that. But we, we can talk about it. Anyhow, some re really great thoughts on there. Oh, one more call. Like I was saying, I really enjoyed li listening to your thoughts on different things. And yeah, I, I agree with you that Howard and then a lot of the writers that Lovecraft tried to ape and talked about, like Algernon Blackwood, are definitely better authors than Lovecraft. Not to say Lovecraft is a bad author, but some of those others definitely were superior. And I'm a big Howard fan and, you know, all of his incarnation, or, well, all the different genres that he wrote in. So, anyhow, I, like I say, really appreciate your podcast and look forward to playing a game with you soon. Take care. All right. Jason Connerly calling in. Thanks, Jason, for your call-ins. Um, it's always great to hear from you, bud. 
Um, yeah. So what all was in there? Well, so for Thursday night stuff, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. Um, definitely. I want to finish the barbarians of Lemuria, um, storyline that we have going, um, finish up that kind of mini campaign. And then, um, I'm not sure if I want to go back to weekly games with the family. That's probably what, um, I don't know. That that might be just the thing to do. Um, I've also been thinking about staying on the bi-weekly and continuing to play with that group of guys on Thursdays. Um, but I don't know how that um, will work with everything. Um, so I'm not sure. Uh, not, not really ready to decide right now. Um, but I obviously will have to at some point, so I'm going to think about it and figure that out. Um, Wargaming sometime like a, 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 a weekday morning uh, bi-weekly, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, Tabletop Simulator has a number of war games, uh, but I think what would work better is probably playing on Vassal. Um, there's a couple of good uh, war games. Vassal in particular is really good for um, war games where you don't have to uh, measure movement. Um, that's one of the things that it's good for uh, the, the way that it's built. So it's really good for like hex encounter stuff. Hex encounter wargaming works really well on Vassal um, because oftentimes the Vassal modules are well built enough that the counters just snap to the hexes and they stack automatically. So that's pretty cool. Makes it really easy to to move them around and all that sort of stuff. And there's a couple of hex encounter war games that I quite like. Um, that are on Vassal. There's also um, uh, one that I found recently, which is called For King and Parliament, which is an adaptation of a rule set called To the Strongest um, that I bought today. Um, that, uh, earlier this morning, actually, I bought the PDF from the, the designer um, To the Strongest and For King and Parliament. But the Vassal module for... Um, for King and Parliament looks really cool, and I've tinkered around with it a little bit. It's a normally a miniatures war game, but one of the interesting things is that it's played on a grid rather than free movement. Um, so the idea is your movement is restricted to the grid rather than being you know free the way that a lot of miniatures games have free movement. Um, so. Um, it works really well on Vassal in terms of controlling where you want your units to go because you don't have to measure movement. You just go to the next grid spot that you want them to go to. Anyway, for King and Parliament is an English Civil War era game, which is really cool because I think the English Civil War is a really fascinating period of history um, in a lot of ways. Um certainly something that I am really interested in and I'm sure you could use it for um, use the rules for like 30 years war uh, other pike and shot era stuff Gustavus Adolphus and all of that um, if you wanted to so um, yeah let me know if that sounds interesting to you Jason and we'll figure out a time to sit down and play some war games 
Um, what else? Howard and Lovecraft and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I personally, I I have been enjoying Lovecraft more when I have come back to him as an adult. When I when I read, I was a teenager when I first read Lovecraft, and for whatever reason, Lovecraft just put me to sleep. Um, and I don't mean in the sense of like, I was super bored reading it. I was kind of interested in reading it, but I would just fall asleep every time that I read any Lovecraft, um, which was odd. Um, and you know me, I was, it was not like I, um, couldn't comprehend the language or was feeling, um, having trouble reading it essentially. And that it put me to sleep from boredom. It just... I don't know, something about it. I remember it took me weeks and weeks to finish that one Lovecraft book that was not very thick. Um, anyway, but I've come come back to his writings as an adult and enjoyed them more. I still do think that uh, Algernon Blackwood and Arthur Machen and Poe and um, a whole number of other horror writers that came before Lovecraft are better authors than Lovecraft himself um, for a number of reasons. And I think that in the aftermath of Lovecraft, one of the things that kind of annoys me is that I think a lot of people got really focused on the sort of stuff that doesn't really make Lovecraft very Lovecraftian, or they got really focused on the trappings of Lovecraft and not on like the sort of good stuff in Lovecraft, I guess. Basically what I'm saying is that people went, oh, Cthulhu and weird Lovecraftian monsters and all that sort of stuff. That's so cool. And that's not really, I think, what the strongest part of Lovecraft. I think the strongest part of Lovecraft often is the um, more philosophical and psychological elements and the way that they have a real um, thematic depth at times. Um, and especially the way that he blends monstrosity with psychology to, to create stories that are often not really just about um, the, 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 they do have, even if I don't think they're as good as Algernon Blackwood or Arthur Machen, that they do have some level of kind of, hidden depths that the monsters are not there just because they're monsters, which I feel like a lot of Lovecraft's imitators have been like, Oh, cool monsters. We're going to have weird monsters show up and they're going to be scary. And that's not really what Lovecraft is about in a lot of ways. Not that he's not into the weird monsters, but that, um, you know, a lot of the Lovecraftian monsters have a sort of like psychological reading to them that you could read them as, sort of a, a, a not just a, not a real monster but a sort of mind monster if that makes sense I don't know I'm not being very articulate about it I don't think um, but anyway thank you for your call-ins Jason it's always great to hear from you um, I'm glad you enjoyed my ramblings on um, history and and historical battles and all of that sort of stuff because I had a lot of fun recording that episode and um yeah we'll uh talk soon um oh shadow the demon lord shadow the demon lord I hope you can play in shadow the demon lord sometime or in whatever we do next like I said I'm not entirely sure how shadow the demon lord is going we've missed uh, a couple of sessions 
Um, so I need to check in and this weekend actually will be a shadow of the demon Lord weekend. Um, so I need to check in and see who all is available and might be interested. And, um, I guess we will talk about, um, I'll talk with them about, um, what they want to do if we don't play Shadow of the Demon Lord, if they're only there for Shadow of the Demon Lord, or if they're up for trying something else or what, anything like that. Um, and you're, of course, welcome to show up either for Shadow of the Demon Lord or for whatever we do next, Jason, um, as long as it fits your schedule and all that sort of stuff. We'd love to have you. Um, but no pressure at all. Um, you're welcome. You, you got to do what you got to do, obviously. And, uh, we will figure that out. All right. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's move on to Carl's call-ins. Hey, a couple things in response to some thoughts on your podcast. If you hear the door slam, so I definitely need to. I have the uh, the Del Rey collection, the one with the three Conan books, and then I have the Solomon Kane the Brand McMoran and the El Dorado and other tales. And I definitely want to dust that one off, those off, especially after you talking about Brand McMoran and reread them. I don't know. I, there's a couple supplements from Pendragon. They had one for Ireland as well as the Beyond the Wall. Uh, the Ireland one is called... Let me run over here and see if I can spot it here. Pagan Shore. And um, on my shelf, Pagan Shore. And it's, they're pretty good. But actually, I think the latest incarnation of the Dark Ages, Call of Cthulhu, which has a bunch of stuff on Saxons, would be perfect for the maybe the time period you're thinking. And running battles, and especially in the context of player agency, I think this is great. And maybe, hopefully, Jason Connolly is listening to this because tongue-in-cheek, sometimes I can't tell because he has a dry sense of humor. He talks about me taking away player agency. And one time when the characters were in a battle, his characters were in a battle, was um, I ran the uh, the Battle of uh, Todeberg Forest and, right, the Romans lose. They were Romans. They're going to lose. But I did give them options to run away. And two-thirds of the party ran away. And one-third, which was uh, Colin Green and Jason's character, did not because they were soldiers in the Legion. And they died. But uh, there was a second part to that uh, mini campaign anyway. So, hey, it was their choice, I think. But you're right. I mean, a, a soldier in battle rarely, rarely affects the outcome. Though, in reality, maybe they didn't realize it at the time. They did, and their actions, their characters did affect the outcome of the overall campaign. And I'm not going to tell them that. Maybe they'll hear that. But they made things harder for the bad guys to recover and easier than for the subsequent generation or the old folks who had survived the first part of the mini campaign to take action and do things. So there you go. Yes, it seems like there is no player agency in your overwhelming situation, um, but hey, it led to some neat role-playing later on, including when like the characters were making this momentous decision to leave or stay and one character he or one player said his character had been for the last 20 some odd years had been regretting that decision to to flee so there you go no 
player. All right. Thanks, Carl, for calling in. Um, always great to hear from you. Yeah. So um, the Howard stuff, Bron Mockmorn, it's a great collection of stories, like I said. Um, super fun. Totally worth revisiting if you have not read it in a while. Um, just a, a lot of fun, that collection of short stories. Um, excuse me. The uh, the pagan shore, yeah, that's a that's a really good um, excuse me, a really good supplement for Pendragon. Um, I at one point was thinking about taking the charioteering rules and some of the other stuff from the pagan shore and trying to do an ancient Greece game um, with that because I think that would be fun. Um, do you know ancient Greek chariots and all that sort of stuff? A, a sort of Bronze Age game, um, and yeah, the uh, the Cthulhu Dark Ages stuff might be a really good fit for what I was talking about with the Dark Ages campaign in the British Isles. So that's probably worth checking out. Thanks for that, Carl. Um, what else? What else? Players in battle. Yeah, so I think there is, it's kind of an interesting thing, sort of an interesting tension. Um, player agency versus the kind of realistic sense of like, well, how much can even one one really capable warrior do in a large scale battle? While at the same time, there is some, like every battle that anybody ever won or lost involved capable warriors who were able to kind of lead their their side to uh, do great things and all of that sort of stuff, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, and I think there are some war games that do a good job with this concept that um, some kind of skirmish style war games that go with the idea that like, you know, maybe your kind of like individual warrior your leader is not that deadly in like hand-to-hand -hand combat, but they can kind of inspire the others, or maybe they are just that deadly in hand-to-hand -hand combat and can, you know, turn the tide all by themselves just because of the way things work out. But I think in, in realistic systems, it's very difficult for, you know, one player character or even the full party of player characters to be able to, to turn the tide by themselves, right? And in a um, historical game like that, that Teutoburg battle, um, you know, we know what happens at the end of the Battle of Teutoburg Forest. So it's not like there's really an option for winning the battle. Although there's a number of, obviously we don't know exactly what happened. And there are a number of competing theories about like how long it actually took for the German forces to take down the Roman forces. And I know at least one or two uh, theories involve a sort of week-long running campaign as the legions, the, the sort of first assault was able to take down a lot of the Roman troops, but the, the rest of them banded together and tried to fight their way out and spent like a week on the road trying to march back to the frontier um, before they were overwhelmed eventually. So I don't remember if that is how you did it or not, but 
anyway, we obviously we don't know exactly what happened at Tudorburg, so um, room for for interpretation by the the GM. And I think there's something to be said for um, with surrounding my um, Roncevaux battles. I sort of talked about this idea that there's something to be said for um, limited player control over the world as a way to highlight player control over their um, feelings, I guess, for lack of a better term. Basically, the idea that players, player characters um, for something like Roncevaux, they don't have the chance of, of changing the outcome of the battle, right? They're, they're the Frankish knights on the side of the Franks fighting in the battle are going to lose and they're going to die. They're going to be massacred to a man by the uh, Spanish forces. But that's not to say that the players do not have something kind of important thematic to decide about their sort of opinions on that matter, if that makes sense, that they they do have something important that they have control over that has to do with kind of theme and tone and uh, the nature of their their sort of opinion on their character's heroism, right? At least that's how I see it, is that um, those, those uh, players they don't get to have control over the battle, but they do get to have control over something else that's important, if that makes sense, um, that is sort of almost outside of the world of the game, but it's still outside of the game world, but it's still in the game space, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it's, it's complicated. I'm not sure what the best way to... Uh, to do battles is necessarily, but um, yeah, it's cool stuff at the very least. So yeah, I'm glad you uh, enjoyed the battle discussion, Carl. Um, I think, I hope you know that I think Jason is pulling your leg about player agency. Um, I'm sure that's what he would say about it, that he's not, um, and I'm sure he had a great time in that playing that game because Jason um, always seems to report that he had a great time playing. Just you know, he's a dude who likes playing games, so and that's cool. That's good. Um, yeah. So I think that is going to be it for my response to the Collins. Let's get talking about war games. Hi, so I recorded the rest of the episode yesterday and then got sidetracked, and now it is today, which means that it's uh, a little bit uh, after when I had recorded the other stuff, so I don't remember it perfectly, but um, I seem to remember what I was going to talk about was wargaming. Anyway, um, so I, uh, yeah, basically, um, for those of you who don't know about my kind of history around gaming. When I was in middle school, I played like one session of D&D 3.5 and it was terrible, not because the game is terrible, but because it was uh, not well run. Um, 
which to be fair, we were in middle school, so not super surprising. Um, but anyway, eventually what I did was I got into um, tabletop miniatures wargaming with um, some of my friends. We um, did, so we got um, Warhammer Historical, the, the rule set. We played two games primarily and really mostly one game, which was Warhammer Historical, which was an adaptation of the Warhammer Fantasy Battles rules for Warhammer for for historical scenarios. And there's a couple. So basically, the, the publication history, there's um, Warhammer Historical, the original book, and then Armies of Antiquity, um, which is a book of a whole bunch of different armies. And then there were a bunch of um, specific period uh, source books. So like Shield Wall or Age of Arthur or uh, Armies of Chivalry or um, there's basically going from kind of the bro early Bronze Age all the way up to, you know, 1500 or so. Um, there are supplements for Warhammer Historical, and there's even, I think, a, a um, English Civil War one if you wanted to play an English Civil War era Warhammer Historical game. And then there was a second edition of Warhammer Historical, and then I think there was more planned, but then it got canceled. I think there was a sequel to Armies of Antiquity planned that got canceled, Um I'm not entirely sure about all of that, but what we played, because by that time we were on to, I think we were on to the second edition. Um, we played the second edition with the first edition army lists, basically, because we didn't know any better. Um, uh, because the second edition book was prettier, I remember was I, I think I think it was a the second edition book was prettier, and the assumption was that well, it's the second edition, so it would have whatever errors were in the first edition corrected, um, which is, you know, sometimes true and sometimes not. I think it was probably true in this case that um, Warhammer Historical had, uh, I don't think it had too many errors and stuff. I think second edition was just a, a sort of slight refinement, more of a refinement to try to keep it in line with the fantasy battles um, rule set that is now old hammer, I guess people is what people call it because it's, you know, been sort of replaced by age of Sigmar. But anyway, the point being that we played Warhammer historical with paper miniatures, we would cut out bases of index cards. And there's a website online, juniorgeneral.org that is designed for paper wargaming. And it would have figures. And so what you do is you print out the figure and it's two-sided, generally attached at either the base or the top of the figure. So you cut out the figure and then you use a piece of tape to, you do tape on the base and then one side of the figure and then over the top and then on the other side of the figure and then on the base again. And that creates a little figure that will stand up if you don't have like real standy bases or anything like that. And of course we were all in high school. So at least I didn't have a job. Some of the other guys had jobs, um, but I didn't have a job. So I was poor. So um, 
getting the the book was about all I could afford. And I got to be the games master because I was the only one who was willing to actually read the book. So there were five of us, uh, my buddy uh, Chandler and my buddy Daniel and uh, my buddies Beto and Martine. And we played Warhammer Historical, um, not every Saturday, but... Um, Every couple of Saturdays, we would get together at, um, I think it was Beto and Martin's house had a, a sort of uh, garage apartment that wasn't in use at the time. And they had a ping pong table back there. So we would play Warhammer Historical on the ping pong table with the minis. So the thing is that um, the shoddily constructed paper minis did not last very long. And they were not um very they were not very durable so generally you only got one or two play sessions out of them so there was a lot of making paper miniatures which to be fair with physical miniatures or not physical miniatures with uh actual miniatures you spend a lot of time painting so it's not like um it was still probably faster to just print out and assemble these guys than to have tried to paint minis um but it uh, was a fair bit of assembling, which I think was one of the gripes of the guys. Anyway, so um, and then the other thing is because they weren't very heavy, um, they would shift around on the table and they were not very easy to move together as a formation or anything like that. So um, it was not a perfect system, but we had a lot of fun. We um, yeah, we had a whole lot of fun playing. Um, Warhammer historical. Um, I seem to remember what we did. What I came up with was that we would do a um, sort of tournament style system where basically everybody would have two or three different armies. Um, and one of them had to be from the Crusades era. And basically the tournament was to determine who would be in charge of the grand army in the Crusades. Um, and we played with small armies too. That was one of the things we only played 500 point armies um, instead of like 2000 point armies um, for a while, at least just to try to get, get it together. And then it was a big step up when we played the sort of grand battle at the end. That was um, a, a 2000 point battle. If I remember correctly, um, cause I gave basically they had their kind of, the army that they had fought with before. And then I um, made some extra soldiers for them to be kind of, you know, extra special troops. Um, the thing is 500 points does not go a super long way. You generally only have like one unit um, in Warhammer historical at 500 points. So you'll have, you know, like your, um, your, I think one of the guys had Roman legionaries and one of them had Macedonian companion cavalry. And one of the guys had, I can't remember the others. Those are the ones I remember. I could probably find the uh, army lists on my Google drive um, at some point if people are interested, but, and I don't really keep up with those guys too much anymore, which I really should, because it would be fun to hang out with them and reminisce and maybe even play some war games and stuff. Anyway, 
the point of all that, the other game we played was uh, DBM, Debellus Multitudinous, which for those of you who uh, don't know, there was DBA, Debellus Antiquitis, and then DBM, Debellus Multitudinous. DBA was played with uh, generally 12 stands uh, of, of or, or 12 units is part of the idea. Um, and then they use stands instead of individuals, which turned out to work a lot better for um, moving around and controlling the armies and all that sort of stuff than um, individually based paper guys. Stands of paper guys work better. And um, so we, we had uh, DBM, but we only played DBM like twice. Um, I really enjoyed DBM. Um, but I, I thought it. I felt like it was more historical, and you could get, or in a sense that it created an outcome that was closer to large scale historical battles, whereas a lot of our Warhammer historical stuff had been more like kind of small skirmish style stuff. I mean, with only five hundred points with the one unit, basically all you do is sort of run towards the enemy and then smack into them and see who wins. Um, so there's not uh, not nearly as much um, kind of large scale army maneuvering with 500 points that you would get with like 2000 points. Um, but that was because it was sort of hard to control the, the paper guys. So I, I don't remember exactly why we decided that we should stick with 500 points for a while. I think it was mostly just to learn the rules and because we found out that it was hard to control. But anyway... DBA was 12 units. Um, DBM was sort of as many units as you could afford on the army list. Um, and DBM, in my opinion, is a really awesome game. It's played with stands. It um, You can end up with a ton of stands on the field. And it um, simulates historical large-scale combat really well, in my opinion. Um, one of the things about DBM in particular, I don't know if it's true for DBA or not. I assume it's true because it's. I think it was the same guys who did DBM and DBA. And then there's a DBMM after DBM, after they sort of split, I think, um, the two guys who designed DBM. Anyway, the point of this is that one of the cool things about it is that there's a lot of, um, there's not a lot of unit um, counter stuff that you need to do. So like units don't, units are either destroyed or they're healthy. There's no, um, or each stand is either destroyed or it's healthy. There's no counter for like, you know, okay, this unit has taken some damage, things like that, which was cool. It also works well for kind of historical results with that because it gets basically the idea is a unit is either able to function at basically full capacity or it's no longer able to make a significant impact on the battle, which I feel like is a good um, a good feeling for um, pre-modern combat because of the way that a lot of those battles went. And I, I talked about this in the one of the earlier episodes uh, on this sort of battle subject that, you know, a lot of victorious armies 
uh, it was pretty rare in ancient times for a victorious army to be kind of savaged by a defeated army in the process of winning the battle. Most of the time, victorious armies were able to kind of keep marching and move on to another battle relatively quickly compared to um, some other periods of, of history. Um, you didn't get like, you know, huge casualties on both sides that often. That's part of why um, Pyrrhus of Epirus said, uh, another victory like this and I shall lose my army. That's part of why the idea of Pyrrhic victory was so sort of special is because Pyrrhus of Epirus was um, unusual in having won some of these battles that um, were uh, where his victorious army got horribly savaged by Roman armies. Um and that was not uncommon for enemies of Rome to find out that, yes, they could win battles, but win a battle, but it's hard to keep winning battles because um, the Romans were good at damaging enemy armies with their even in defeat, um, which is just sort of an interesting historical thing. But anyway, the point that I'm getting at is that um, it, I think, works pretty well for the... Um, the for dbm because it means that you know the idea is okay well when a, a formation is destroyed a stand is removed from play that's not all those men being killed that's those men mostly routing off the field or going to join other similar units or even just their command leadership being um killed or wounded or anything like that and them no longer really being able to have a <coughs> A significant impact on the battle. So I really liked DBM um, and DBM other instead of Warhammer Historical did a really good job of creating big battles that would just cover the table with paper guys which I thought was really cool. Um, we played it a couple of times. Um, there were some kind of issues that we discovered um, particularly one of the big things was um, I, in one battle, just set up a section and declared it to be rough ground for all troops, and that's not what you're supposed to do. It turns out you're supposed to declare it as a type of terrain because different troops treat different terrain as rough ground. So, like, for instance, lighter auxiliary units would be able to march through that terrain and not suffer the rough ground penalties um, and so I sort of gimped the, the, the auxiliary units by doing that. Um, and there's some other stuff like that, but it was a learning process and we only played it a couple times. So I really enjoyed it. Um, but we, we did not play it that much. Um, but I remember in one of the battles, there was a great sequence where um, a, a relatively small, like six stand unit of crossbowmen were able to hold off kind of one entire flank of an army in this medieval battle. And that felt really good because the crossbowmen basically, um, unless they lost really decisively, they would just get pushed back every round. So um, they would uh, stand and fire and um, basically the, the system is built around pushbacks and um, destroys as the result of combat. So there's no marking stands with damage or anything like that, which is something that I like. Um, 
for DBM. And I think it results in a, a quite historical feel of the battle because it, it felt like it felt kind of realistic that this, you know, formation, this big infantry formation was not basically able to catch up with the crossbowmen. They would sort of rush forward, but they couldn't maintain their formation and move quick enough because the crossbowmen would just stand and fire and stand and fire. And then when they get close, they would just boogie out of there. And because they... um were more lightly armed and lightly armored and more um, loose formation, they were able to escape pretty much all of them every time. And so the that whole sort of, sort of section of the army got basically hold, held up by these crossbowmen, um, which I think worked. I think it worked pretty well. Um, it was not super fun for the guy who found out that, you know, a third of his uh, infantry were not able to um, join the battle very effectively. They they basically got held up until almost the end of the battle because the other, the um, French player had put all of his cavalry, all of his knights on the other flank and used the crossbowmen to kind of support his weak flank. And then put his his most of his infantry in the center, and so the um, the English player had divided up his forces more evenly, and so the French knights were able to crush the English knights on the French right, the English left, and then kind of sweep in through the center of the battlefield and flank the English center while the two infantry centers clashed, um, and then those crossbowmen were nice and effective at preventing the English. Uh, right from joining in to the battle. So it was a pretty decisive French victory, um, which was a lot of fun to play. Um, but I think the, the English player felt like he had been outmatched strategically a little bit, um, which is not, you know, that's what happens when you play war games is sometimes you just make silly mistakes or not so silly mistakes and you lose the battle. Um, so anyway, the point of all of that is to tell you that um, when I was younger, I played a whole lot of tabletop war games, or not a whole lot of tabletop war games, but I played a fair bit instead of playing RPGs. I didn't really play RPGs um, consistently until a couple years ago now um, when I sort of got back into this sort of hobby stuff and got a number of purchased a number of RPGs and went looking for some actual plays and all of that sort of stuff and sort of got back into um, the hobby stuff, this, this particular hobby stuff. Anyway. Um, so I uh, have been thinking that it would be a lot of fun to get back into wargaming as a um, thing to do. So um, I did some research and it turns out that minis are not that expensive. I mean, they were sort of out of reach when I was in high school because I didn't have a job. So I was, you know, I would get a bit of money every time I mowed the lawn. Um, I think my dad paid me something ridiculous, like $20 to mow the lawn. And by ridiculous, I mean, he probably overpaid me because that was sort of my allowance more than um, what it actually was worth. Um, but so in the summer I would mow the lawn pretty regularly and get some money, but I was also buying books from the half price books all the time. So I didn't have a whole lot of money to spend on, uh, other hobby stuff. But anyway, the point being that, um, it would have been, um, I would have probably had to ask like for a birthday to get, 
you know, a paint set and brushes and um, and minis and a rule book to, to actually have been playing with minis. But now, since I have a job, turns out it's not that expensive to get some get some rules and get some minis and get some paint and get some brushes and all of that stuff that you need to uh, paint and assemble minis or assemble and paint minis and have them available for battle. So um, I've sort of decided that it would be a lot of fun to get back into tabletop wargaming. Um, and yeah, that's sort of my uh, current current obsession in uh, some ways. So what I've done, I went on Amazon and I bought myself, I bought myself glue and a paint set and a brush set and um, a rule book and a um, set of two sets of minis actually, one set through Amazon Prime that's supposed to come today. And those are uh, black powder uh, Native American skirmishers. So those will be sort of French and Indian War era um, Native American skirmishers. So those will be pretty cool. And I figure they were relatively cheap. So I figure I can use those to sort of test out my painting skills and um, figure out what it what it takes to paint some minis and to assemble and paint some minis. And then um, I also bought the starter set for Warlord Games SPQR, which is a game of warband combat in the ancient world, as it says. And the starter set comes with a rule book. And the rule book was like 40 bucks by itself. So I was like, I'm not going to just buy the rule book. I'm going to buy the starter set for like 60 bucks and get the rule book plus a bunch of minis. Um, I think it comes with like 60 or 70 minis. It's it's a bunch of miniatures that it comes with, which is really cool. Warlord Games seems to have pretty good deals for historical minis if you want to play their games, because their minis are all built for their games. Um, and as far as I can tell, all of their games pretty much are 28 millimeter um, stuff. Some of them use... Um, stands and some of them use individually based soldiers although obviously with individually based soldiers you can put a couple of individual bases on a sort of larger base to do a makeshift stand um if you want to do that so um yeah that is sort of um where i'm at right now i bought some stuff and then i bought some other stuff um, so what I'm actually going to do, because this recording is going long, I'm going to pause the recording here and then come back and talk about some of the other stuff that I got and then about my other plans for wargaming stuff. So you know me, I'm not the sort to do hobby things in half measures. So I did not just buy some stuff from Amazon, but I also got some other stuff. Um, specifically, the two big things I got from um Big Red Bat. Uh, they have a rule set called To the Strongest and then an adaptation of that rule set called For King and Parliament that um, is pretty cool. Um, one of the interesting things about it is that basically it's a, it's a stand-based war game, um, but it uses a grid system for... Um, the uh, movement and range and all of that sort of stuff, which is pretty cool, um, in my opinion. It um, 
basically it uh instead of free movement and freewheeling and all of that sort of stuff you just um you know you you activate to move to the grid space in front of you or you can do a more difficult activation to move to the grid space in front and to the left or right or you know do a more difficult activation to move into those grid spaces if there's you know difficult excuse me difficult terrain involved or anything like that so um, it seems pretty good. And in particular, one of the things that's cool is that there's Vassal and Tabletop Simulator models modules for um, To the Strongest and for King and Parliament. Um, for King and Parliament in particular has a Vassal module that's just gorgeous. Um, it looks really good. And because you don't have to measure movement or anything like that, it's relatively easy to... Um, to play on something like Vassal or on Tabletop Simulator, you can just sort of, you know, say, okay, I'm moving to the next square. Um, anyway, um, and then there's some cool, the activation system is neat. You can play either with D10s or with a deck of cards with all the face cards and the jokers removed. And when you play with cards, what you do is you, um, draw a card and based on the number on the card you get to activate your unit um and then there's rules about multiple activations so like for instance if you want to activate a um, unit twice then your first card draw determines how high your next card draw has to be so you have to get not an ace for your first activation in general um so you know you have a 10 10 chance of drawing an ace if you've got the the aces in the deck that's just ace through 10 um, cards but if you don't draw an ace you draw let's say you draw like a four then your next activation you have to draw like a five or a six i don't remember exactly which it is in order to activate that unit again but you can activate that unit again and then as soon as one section of the army fails and its activation that whole section of the army is done for the turn um, that's that for those guys. So, um, you basically, uh, play out these activations and I watched a couple of, uh, play videos on YouTube, particularly there's a tutorial where the guy shows how to play, um, how to play, uh, whatchamacallit to the strongest and it looks pretty cool. And so I'm pretty excited um, and then I, so I bought the digital rules for To the Strongest and for King and Parliament. And I bought the army lists for To the Strongest for King and Parliament comes with the army lists. And then I bought all of the supplemental material, the quick reference sheets and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I got those. And then I also went on Warlord Games and uh, they make a couple of different rule sets. And so I got a couple of... I got a bunch of digital uh, rule books for from Warlord Games, and then I got a couple of physical rule books. And then it turns out that shipping was going to be pretty expensive. But what they have is that if your order is over a certain size, you can um, choose to buy like a shipping was going to be like twenty five bucks for a couple of books, um, which is fairly steep. Um, so not as bad as it has been some places, but still fairly steep. And so what they have is a special offer where you can buy a box of minis 
and um, get those instead of paying for shipping, basically. And the box mini is like 30 bucks. So I went ahead and did that. I got decided to get some uh, Ashigaru Spearmen because those seemed like they would be fun to play with. Um, and I can base them so that I can play, you know, with uh, I have a rule set that I bought a while ago that I just refound called Tyco. And Tyco is designed for um, miniatures of basically any size, but generally singly based miniatures. And there's a one to one version of the rules and a one to 50 version of the rules, which is kind of a cool concept. So the idea is you can use the same miniatures either for a small scale skirmish where the rules simulate kind of the idea of the sort of individual warriors in combat, or you can use them for a large scale, you know, grand battle where the individual figures are not fighting the, um, the, they're not really fighting in the, the same way, right? You're fighting a grand battle, not a small skirmish. And so there's different rules for it, but it uses the same minis which I think is a really cool concept. And so then I, uh, when I found that, I was like, ooh, I should get um, a physical copy of Tyco. So then I got a physical copy of Tyco and Triumph from Scale Creek Miniatures. And I think that was it. So it, it set me back quite a bit. I mean, it's several hundred dollars that I spent. And I, I was talking to Hobbs and I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in, in a little bit of a manic mode right now. Um, spending so much money on all this hobby stuff, but you know, it'll be fun. Um, and then he was like, yeah, I know what you mean. And he, um, showed me a picture of the new, uh, paintball gun that he bought. So anyway, um, yeah. So, um, a whole lot of war game stuff, uh, coming my way or already here in the case of the digital rules. Obviously, the digital stuff just got delivered to me basically automatically, and then the physical stuff is um, being shipped. So it's going to take a little while for it to ship over here, but um, hopefully not too long. Hopefully not too long. And yeah, so I now have a whole bunch of new War Games rule sets to read, and then pretty soon I'll have some figures to paint. And then, so the other thing I did, um, I was thinking through who could, who would be willing to play War Games with me, um, because you know playing solo is fun, but it would be really fun to have a, a sort of opponent. And um, I was thinking through people that might enjoy that, and basically my uh, my grandfather. Um, I guess technically my mom's stepfather, but he's been my mom's stepfather since she was uh, very young. So we've always thought of him as my grandfather, um, even though I guess we're not uh, directly related by blood. But anyway, he's as far as I'm concerned, he's my grandfather. Anyway, the point is that he's a he's a super crafty guy. He has a wood shop in the the garage of um, their house and has made a ton of super cool stuff. He's in the process of making a guitar um, right now and has done an incredible amount of research to correctly design a, a guitar and he's got like a heating blanket to bend the wood and not like a heating blanket that you would put in a bed like a, a serious heavy duty heating blanket and he's he's bending the wood for the sides and he's sort of 
filing and sanding down the wood for the fronts and then he's building all the struts to support everything and to to bow the wood just a little bit slightly to keep it under tension and he's also an incredible guitar player in addition to being super crafty so it makes sense that he's working on this guitar project but anyway so i talked to him about it and at first he was kind of like yeah that sounds like fun and then yesterday he called me and said hey i've been watching tutorial videos and trying to figure out what we need to paint some minis um i'll send you some of these videos and that was really cool because it it sounds like he is really excited to um to paint some minis and play some war games, which is really cool. You know, it's always fun to have um, somebody excited to, to work on a project with you. So I think the idea is that's probably going to take up my Sundays. So unfortunately, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make the Sunday afternoon dungeon musings games for the near future. Um, we'll see. But once my minis come, I think the plan is because normally we do breakfast over there with my grandparents. Um, we do kind of breakfast brunch. Um, but I think the idea is that, um, granddaddy and I will, um, sit down and, uh, paint minis after breakfast for as long as we feel like. And then hopefully once we've got some minis painted, we could play war games um, with those minis and all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really glad that um, he's interested in um, playing some uh, historical miniatures games. Um, that's pretty cool, you know, it's, uh, and he's, he's a really nice guy. And so I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun, um, playing war games. The part of what I was thinking was that, um, if I wanted to play like at a, a, a friendly local gaming shop, I'd probably need to get into a games workshop style game, you know, buy some Warhammer 40 K or Warhammer age of Sigmar or maybe even the Middle Earth strategy battle game uh, minis, because that seems to be what's most popular. Um, but if I'm going to play with him, then I can just play these weird historical games that I like. Um, and so we can, uh, we can do that. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to, so I've got a, uh, three boxes of miniatures on the way right now. And it turns out Amazon has a number of, especially the um, Black Powder, not Black Powder, the Warlord games. Black Powder is one of the Warlord games games. Um, but they've got a lot of Warlord games miniatures for like Hail Caesar and Bolt Action and Black Powder and Pike and Shot on Amazon Prime. So relatively easy to just buy a box whenever we run out of things to paint and um, get some more stuff. And then, of course, as happens, you know, I'm sure that once we get way into it, we'll we'll start. Um, I think what we're going to do, my idea is to do um, something kind of like what I did when I first got back into RPGs, which is that I didn't really know what I wanted to play. So I tried a bunch of things and um, I still am trying a bunch of things. Um, now I have a better idea of what I want to play and run and all that sort of stuff, but I still enjoy trying um, new, new games and all that sort of stuff a whole lot. 
Um, but I think what we will do, it seems like the easiest thing to do is to buy PDFs of games and try to play games where the miniatures that we have will work for whatever we're trying to do and then um, try out a number of different war games until we decide on a couple that we really like. Um, and once we decide on a couple that we really like, we will play those more. Um, build up bigger armies and more uh, minis and all that sort of stuff for those games. Um, that's sort of my idea right now is that it'll be it'd be fun for um, us to do that because you know, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. Um, and then I'm already also thinking about you know what what uh rule sets that's going to be so the the bolt action game not bolt action the warlord games different uh they've got 28 millimeter games for a whole bunch of different eras which is pretty cool um but then there's also to the strongest there's also war game vault is a um it's like drive through rpg but for war games and i have a bunch of war games already from them and then we can obviously get more um if we decide that we want to so for like indie games i talked about nordic weasel already but nordic weasel games are on there and um you should go get those war games because they're really cool really good for kind of small scale skirmish stuff often um just kind of mess around and play with your friends with whatever figures you've got that's a lot of the nordic weasel games set up but there's some other ones that are more um that are not that way so um anyway the point being basically just that um yeah i'm pretty excited um i think it's gonna be a lot of fun i think spqr is gonna be fun spqr is warband combat and it's by warlord games so it's individually based 28 millimeter ancients um, and I think it's going to scratch that sort of same itch that um, Warhammer Historical did um, for us, kind of small scale skirmish combat with ancient units. Um, and then Warlord Games also has Hail Caesar, which is um, larger battles, um, not, not warband combat, but uh, full size battles with um, pre-modern stuff basically and then they've got pike and shot and then black powder and then bolt action which is bolt action is world war ii um 28 millimeter um guys so yeah warlord games looks really cool to the strongest looks really cool Tycho looks really cool um so yeah i'm just i'm i'm in a glut of wargaming stuff right now i've got a bunch of rule systems that i want to read and kind of figure out how they work and all that sort of stuff to decide on what we're gonna try out me and my grandfather um but yeah it's uh it's really exciting i don't know i'm I'm having a whole lot of fun and I'm really glad, like I said, I think it's really cool that he was excited enough to um, do some research himself into miniature painting. And so today, actually, later today, I'm going to go over there and help with some housework, put up some uh, screens over the windows and carry the ferns around to the places that they go because the ferns have been um, 
they were in isolation basically for the winter and then obviously now it is june and they don't need to be in isolation anymore so we're gonna put them back in place um finally so we, we kept putting it off because it kept raining and the ferns would get you know the the um when they get rained on obviously they just soak up extra water in the the pots and so they get really heavy and they're already really heavy so um anyway the point being that i'm going over there today and then what um, he suggested was that after we do the housework stuff do like an hour of housework stuff and then we could go to like a, a hobby shop or um maybe to a flgs and see what they have and what they suggest and all that sort of stuff and get some supplies if we need any more supplies and um and then we can work on on minis so that's pretty exciting um yeah um pretty cool stuff i'm i'm really excited so um war games it's going to be a whole lot of fun and um so i guess there's probably going to be i will keep you guys in the loop for how the war game stuff is going as we um play and um, as we get into it and all that sort of stuff so um, and i'll post pictures on discord and all that sort of stuff so that people can see what um my war games collection ends up being like so i'm pretty excited i keep saying that but i really am i'm, I'm really excited for um getting back into tabletop wargaming um I like RPGs a lot. I also like war games a lot. So um, we're going to see how that um, works out and all of that. So, um, yeah, and I've been talking to some of my friends. Hobbs suggested that I get the Battletech box, um, said get the ga a game of armored combat, but I can't find it anywhere. So I have not gotten it. Um, it seems like it's out of stock everywhere because nobody wants to buy the beginner box apparently because apparently the beginner box is not nearly as good as a game of armored combat box. So, um, yeah, I have not. And to be honest, I think my tastes run more towards historical minis, um, which is not to say I, I've been thinking about getting uh, a box of uh, Warhammer 40k guys, but Games Workshop charges so much money for so few miniatures relative to some of these other guys. So um, I don't know. I might buy like an intro starter set for 40k and we could try that out as one of the games that we'll try to see what we like. Um but I think between all of these different games that I've got, between the indie games that I've got from Wargame Vault and the kind of bigger name games that are available. Um, oh, that's another. I found out about a couple of other games um, recently um, that I wanted to do some research on today. Um, so I'm going to do, do that after I end this segment. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so I think that's everything. That's just my talk about tabletop wargaming. Um, I think it, it scratches a similar itch to RPGs, but a little bit different. Um, so 
yeah, I'm pretty excited to uh, play some tabletop wargaming. And um, not only in physical, but also online on um, Tabletop Simulator or Vassal, there's some some games that would work for that. So um, if you, listener, are interested in playing tabletop-style wargaming with me on Vassal or Tabletop Simulator or something, let me know and we'll... Uh, figure it out we'll uh uh play sometime and um yeah it'll be good it'll be good it'll be a lot of fun um i'm super excited so um i think that's going to be everything so i'm going to do the outro now um which is just to say thank you everybody for listening i have an interview that is going to come out tomorrow on the podcast um which is pretty exciting because the interview was a whole lot of fun. Um, it's already up on YouTube, but I sort of mistimed things, so it's not going to come out until tomorrow for the podcast. Um, but that's okay. It'll be up very soon, and you'll be able to listen to it. It is with J.M. DeFoggy, who is the designer behind Osprey Games Jackals. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. Um, so we are gonna, gonna do that. So I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I know it's not so much about RPGs, although there was some RPG talk earlier on, especially in the responses, but, um, yeah, I mean, this podcast is basically just stuff that I'm interested in. So, um, you know. It's if I'm interested in war games, I'm going to talk about war games. Basically, this is what I have to say about that. So, um, I'm yeah, I'm having fun with that. Um, but I'm just rambling now, so it's probably time to say I've been Arlen Walker, I've been live from Helen's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.